Hello, and welcome to another installment of The Weird Chronicles. Each episode, we bring you tales of action and adventure from Malifaux and the other side. On today's episode, we meet Sticky Bill, one of Malifaux's many petty thieves. Sticky Bill has been gifted with a unique talent for escape that has gotten him out of many sticky situations. But in Malifaux, you must be careful who you steal from. I hope you enjoy In Pursuit of Happiness. In Pursuit of Happiness by Graham Stevenson Sticky Bill ran. He ran fast, skinny legs knifing up and down, rubber-soled shoes thumping the dirt. The alley stretched away in front like a narrow finger, black as tar. The only light was the moon reflected in the puddles he splashed through. Sticky Bill was no stranger to running. He'd been running all his life in one manner or another, mostly on account of his sticky fingers. But there were other things equally catalytic of his sharp exit, things like commitment and responsibility, It wasn't that he was afraid of such things, merely that he considered them disagreeable on the whole, and contrary to the manner in which he liked to conduct his affairs. And when it came to the manner in which he liked to conduct his affairs, that mostly involved him grabbing something and retreating. Unscientific though this approach may seem to the layman, it had proven extremely effective over the years. It was astonishing how much revenue a quick-footed thief could generate if he were to hang around an opportunistic neighbourhood. And by opportunistic, he meant rich. Any number of wealthy industrialists' wives could be found at this hour of the evening, literally dripping with emeralds, diamonds, gold and pearls, and all it took was a nimble half-second with a sharp knife or a pair of shears, and he was away. Down this alley, over that wall, through a derelict basement, and gone beyond all hope of capture. Mr. Flavio was most obliging when it came to the resettlement of wayward items of jewellery. Most obliging indeed. Why, it almost seemed his civic duty to find a new home for all those bracelets, necklaces and pendants that became separated from their former owners and were desirous of a new home. In the last six months in particular, Sticky Bill had earned such an amount of scrip, and that was at little more than a fifth of his sparkle's actual worth, rot that pinching beggar Flavio's soul, that he had begun idle speculation into his retirement plans. He was only four and thirty, but already his hidey-hole under the brick mantle of his safe house had grown a prodigious nest egg. Another year, perhaps even less, and he would buy his ticket back earthside, and what's more, he'd come back through that breach, a gentleman. He ran on, his wind puffing out through drawn pockmarked cheeks. That's right, a gentleman, with fine cotton and silk about him, and a watch chain and a top hat shiny with mercury, and perhaps even a cane. He'd have means, and the lower orders would tip their caps to him, and have not the slightest thought he was anything less than a proper lad. He'd have port and sherry with every meal, and a beautiful hourglass wife with eyes like sapphires, and perhaps even a townhouse where... 
A bullet shrieked along the alley and a chunk of brick exploded at his ear. Instinctively, he switched direction and flew along a side alley between two crooked slums, so narrow as to skim his shoulders on both sides as he ran. He vaulted a heap of rags and newspaper, and a few seconds after that scrabbled over a rude fence of old splintery wood and wire. The sounds of pursuit were still behind him, but more distant. This was always the way. They'd give chase for a short spell, with a good deal of bluster and shouting, enough to put on a show of effort for the disadvantaged lady, you understand. Then they'd head back with a rueful shake of the head and send an urchin to find a guardsman. It was the accepted order of things. The lady would take a snort of brandy to soothe her nerves, and her rich industrialist husband would buy her an even more lavish and exquisite piece to replace the stolen one. Everyone was happy. Another shot rang out as Bill reached the end of the alley and he swerved left onto a larger street, racing past dawdling couples and rows of fluttering orange gaslights. He knew this area well. This was Coddle Street, a low-to-middle-class run of tenement residences and modest shops. A half-block or so further on, he could take a right into Fiddler's Den, a claustrophobic knot of side streets and tiny courtyards, where a hundred enterprising thieves at once could lay low without a hope of being found. He'd duck in there, find a likely spot, and catch a short snooze. By the time he woke, it'd be well after midnight, and even the most determined gentleman pursuer would have long since retreated to the comfort of the nearest club to spin his wildly embellished yarn. Only, his gentleman pursuers seemed particularly committed this evening. They had come steaming out of the alley mouth, pistols in hand, racing after him with a grim and evident determination. The opal necklace was heavy in his coat pocket, but he'd stolen far more valuable things in his time, and never been chased with such passion. Perhaps it was an object of particular sentimental value, or the lusty gentleman in question had in mind more than just a lady's gratitude. Whatever their motive, he was resolved not to find out. He put on a burst of speed, his heels flying over the cobbles as he made for Fiddler's Den. As Bill drew within ten yards of his salvation, a third gentleman carrying a long rifle stepped from the entrance to the den right in front of him and raised the weapon without hesitation. Like a jackrabbit, Sticky Bill swerved away on reflex and ran the width of Coddle Street, vaulting a low iron railing and raced into Turnbull Lane. Where had that fellow with the rifle come from? Bill could scarcely believe it. Less than two minutes since he had snatched that willowy lady's necklace and he had somehow been cut off. How could the rifleman have got there so fast? And as calm as he was. What's more, he'd had no hint of a flushed face or ragged breath, which a normal man would surely have displayed after such a desperate run. He'd have had to run as though the death himself was on his trail to have reached Fiddler's Den before Sticky Bill. No, Bill was more of a mind that the fellow had been there all along, waiting, but how could that be? Who could have known he'd make straight for Fiddler's Den? Turnbull Lane was far less to his liking. It was much too well lit and ran straight for over a hundred yards with nothing but high, unscalable walls on both sides. 
he could hear boots pounding on the cobbles behind him. They sounded closer than before, but he was certain it was just the lane funneling the sounds of their pursuit. He risked a glance over his shoulder and saw all three figures in hot pursuit, the two pistoliers and now the rifleman, running with a steady measured pace that seemed almost effortless despite their heavy-looking greatcoats and boots. He considered tossing down the opal necklace then, to secure his getaway, but the thought of it stuck in his throat. He'd never been caught once at this game, and would be damned if he'd be collared now. The end of the lane was drawing near. This place was well known, too. To his right was Sturgeon Cross, and then Rotten Row Quay by the river. Too much open ground and exposure for his liking, even at night. No, he would take a left at the end of the lane, a long cove walk where the loose and broken cobbles were an ankle-breaking nightmare for the uninitiated. Up the hundred stairs, past the statue of Magdalen Barrow, and if his pursuers had the wind to follow him that far, he would take to the bread vaults, soot-smeared caverns that were the bones of a massive bakery, burned down untold years ago. He was scant feet from the lane mouth when a titanic noise almost knocked him off his feet. The wall to his left immediately bulged outward and shattered, toppling forwards and burying Cove Walk under tons of black brick and dust. Bill caught the faintest suggestion of a shape, huge, humanoid, coming through the wall, and he immediately cut to his right, dodging the bouncing bricks that scattered around him. He ran faster and harder than he ever had in his life before, forgetting the necklace in his pocket and the three men pounding after him, his immediate and overbearing concern to escape the artificial landslide that was taking place behind him. That sound, an instant before the wall exploded, had sounded almost, almost like a shout. He pounded down to Sturgeon Cross, head back, elbows high, arms and legs pumping. The thunderous deluge behind him did not abate. Instead, the rumble became a heavy, rhythmic pounding, that sent shockwaves up through his feet to rattle his skull. He dared not look back to see what behemoth had now joined the chase, but as he skirted through the busy cross, he saw a hundred astonished faces staring back the way he had come, and when he swerved around an immobilised hearse, the horses were shying. In the polished side window, he saw the reflection of a giant figure loping after him, smeared with blue and red light. Saints and lords, protect me, he gasped, his legs becoming a blur as terror lent fresh speed to his flight. People were shouting and scattering behind him as he cut through the cross, half fell down a dozen cobble steps and took off along the wooden front of Rotten Row Quay. He was accustomed to running, prided himself on great reserves of stamina, in fact, but the strangeness of his pursuers and this latest absurd twist had disturbed him greatly. His heart was running much too quick, and he could feel the fear soaking up the strength in his legs, leaving a rubbery infirmity. He had to go to ground, and soon. And out here was probably the worst place to try and find a hiding spot. To his left, the quay spread a crazy array of plank jetties out onto the dark river, most of which held a moored ship. To his right were netted piles of crates, none higher than a man and widely spaced. 
there were no more alleys or basements, nothing under him but wood and the mud of the riverbed, nothing around but open air. He couldn't shake the feeling that he had been driven here, deliberately herded to this wooden platform with the stairs in plain view and his back to the river. Bill was no swimmer, and the thought of leaping into that churning black water was even worse than capture. He'd been flushed out like a grouse and run to ground by those trench-coated dogs. His pursuers, his hunters, would be at the top of the stairs already. Whichever way he turned, they would see, and they would run him down. Or so they thought. Sticky Bill still had one trick up his sleeve. He ran as far as he dared along the quay. The planking was uneven and spongy, with rot in places, and then swerved to his right, skidding to a panting halt behind a mound of crates in their cargo net. The rope net was as thick as his wrist and stank of river mud. The crates within marked with some unintelligible dialect. The thumping footsteps had slowed and given ground as he entered the quay, but he could hear them again now. Something enormous and heavy was coming down the cobble steps. He sneaked a quick peek around the edge of the crate pile. At first he thought it was a machine, like those huge clanking guild things that sometimes patrolled Camudgeon Square outside the guild offices. But as it drew closer, he saw it was a woman. A woman wearing a massive armoured suit. It must have been ten feet tall, with a fat iron chimney emerging from its back inventing a curious purple exhaust. In fact, the entire mechanism gave off a queer blue-purple blush, offering weak illumination to the dark riverside. Three figures followed it down, his gentleman pursuers, he reckoned. He saw them defer up to the mechanised woman. She spoke to them briefly, and Bill strained his ears, but the distance swallowed the sense of it. They turned and lost themselves among the crate piles, and the woman continued along the quay. She took careful, slow steps, while the quay planking protested loudly at her mechanised weight, but her attention was fixed on Bill's hiding place. Well, he thought, she might have seen him duck in here, but that wasn't to say he'd still be here when she arrived. It was a curious and ultimately fortuitous skill that he had inherited on his journey through the breach. Back earthside, he had been a moderately good thief and a better runner. In Malifaux, he had discovered a new string to his criminal bow. The first time it happened was an accident. He was asleep at the time and was woken with a bump when he hit the floor. Most people fall out of bed. He fell through his. With a few more false starts, he got a grasp on his new ability and began putting it to good use. He found that it worked best if he imagined the surface he was pressed against as a flower with its petals folded, and then he imagined those petals opening. Well, a strange sensation, and a few moments later he was standing on the other side. It didn't always work. The denser and thicker the barrier, the harder the challenge. A single layer of porous brick was manageable, but a heavy stone wall was as impenetrable a barrier to him as to any other common thief. Wood was easy, though. He could slip through a closed door or a fence with barely a moment's pause. 
the gnarled old planks of the quay shouldn't prove much more difficult. He crouched and took a deep breath. If there was water under the quay, he didn't want to drown himself for want of a lung full of air. The familiar flower image formed in his mind, and he focused on it, imagining the layers of petals slowly beginning to slide back. The warped planking underfoot softened, then became insubstantial. He closed his eyes, despite the mechanised woman's heavy footsteps being almost upon him, and felt himself starting to slip. His body was sinking, sliding down through the planks like a hot stone melting through snow. The woman's voice filled the air. She shouted in a language Bill had never clapped ears on in his life, and his downward progress halted abruptly. One moment the flower was almost fully open. The next it had vanished from his mind, and all sense of dislocation had been ripped away. He shrieked when he felt the biting pressure on his legs and looked down, expecting to see an alligator or some other swamp critter gripping him in its jaws. Instead, he saw his knees and shins vanishing into the twisted boards of the jetty. He had been stopped less than halfway through the boards and had fused with the wood. He could feel it grinding against the bones of his legs. Saints and lords! He howled, gripping at his legs. Me legs! The woman stood over him, unmoved and frowning through delicate half-moon glasses. The massive suit around her hummed, radiating heat and a faint electrical crackling. You led me quite a chase, she said. I thought at one point you were going to make that left onto Cove Walk. Me legs! He shrieked again, scrabbling at the splintery boards. Yes, you've mentioned that, she said. Her three gun dogs appeared out of the dark the rifleman resting his weapon over a shoulder. You were right, Hannah, the rifleman said, chuckling. He did go for Fiddler's Den. Of course he did, she said with eyes still on the sobbing thief. Von Schill has been after this guy for months, the rifleman continued, and you catch him in one night. It's a simple matter of probabilities, the mechanized woman said. Any animal will go for cover in a pinch, and when you close off its bolt hole, it'll run anywhere you like in its efforts to escape. All I had to figure out was where to place the lure. Sticky Bill wasn't so agonized as to miss this last inference, and Avarice made him reach for the sparkle in his pocket. By the light of the mechanized suit, he saw the necklace's heavy opals as they really were. Varnished pebbles. He threw it down with venom. You tricked me, he said. Don't flatter yourself, Hannah sniffed. It wasn't that hard. There's a lot of people after this fellow, the rifleman said. Quite a payday for the fry corpse. The woman made a gesture, and one huge mechanized hand reached down and smashed through the planking. The other gripped Bill around the middle. He cried out as he was uprooted from the quay, a jagged fringe of wood projecting out around his fused legs. Doesn't look like you'll be doing any more running for a while, Sticky Bill, Hannah said as the suit hissed and whined, lifting the squirming thief overhead. Wait, 
Wait, Bill exclaimed, wrestling futilely with the thick steel fingers around his middle. I have money, a lot of money. It's yours if you let me go. The woman looked at him, her quick eyes meeting his and seeming to drink him in. Let me go and I'll tell you where to find it, he babbled. Cunningly hidden, mind you, you'll never find it unless... Under the third brick on the right-hand side of the hearth, Hannah said, her eyes like black pools, sucking the images from Bill's head. They flashed before his eyes as they passed. The upstairs hearth, last house on Crookmonger Alley, it has a mark scratched on the door like a sideways S. Bill goggled at her, his jaw hanging slack. She had taken it, taken it right out of his head. What? What are you? He whispered. Not to be trifled with, Hannah replied tartly, turning to her waiting fry corpsman. Olaf, see to that, will you? With pleasure, he said and loped off in the direction of Crookmonger Alley. Let's go, Bill, Hannah said, striding back towards the cobble steps and the city. I have a number of wealthy clients who are very eager to meet your acquaintance. I'm ruined, Bill wailed. He would never be a gentleman now. Oh, I don't know, Hannah said, looking pointedly at the wooden fringe around his shins. Your thieving days may be over, but you look to me as though you've got all the makings of a fine fence. Bill's curse was drowned out by the laughter of the other fry corpse men. That's it for another instalment of The Weird Chronicles. Join us next time for more tales of action and adventure.